Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. Well, glad to be back here with you this morning, as we uh, already talked about a little bit, but had a uh, great week out at Maple Street Park. It was just a great time. What a great time. It was just a fun time of being together. We had perfect weather, didn't we? That cloud cover for the service and uh, some nice warm weather after that. A great time of um, fellowshipping together as a church. Thanks to those of you who helped make that happen, all of you who brought food, and those of you that helped set up and stick around afterwards to uh, help clean up. It just made for a fun time. And something happens when you serve together, when you do events like that together. Uh, it knits you together as a community. When you serve together and you're carrying tables together or whatever, or rolling up a bounce house, uh, you just it, there's a bond that happens there when we serve together. So thank you for um, helping out in that way. It was a great day of joy and celebration for Bethany Church. And I pray for many more, don't you? Yeah, many more. Well, it was 2009, and that was a time when I, I was actually uh, running quite a bit. And it was actually in decent shape. Uh, I'd been running a few miles uh, a day, or not every day, but a few times a week, and uh, gotten back into decent shape. I had not done anything for a long time in my life. And felt great, really good. Not so much anymore, but that's a different story. Um, a few kids later, too. Uh, but there was that time in my life, and if you've ever been a regular exerciser, you know that most of the time, most of the time, it really hurts, doesn't it? It just hurts. You get out there, or you're walking, you're running, or elliptical, or bike, whatever you like to do, it just hurts. And most of the time, when I'm out there, I'm constantly repeating, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? What am I doing? This feels terrible. This feels miserable. Why don't I just stop now, Right? You've been there. But every once in a while, every once in a while, something happens. You have a day where you feel really great, don't you? Especially if you're doing it regularly. I remember it was, uh, today, to this day, 2009, best run of my life ever, ever, that I ever experienced. We were vacationing in uh, B.C., uh, British Columbia there in Vancouver with Robin's aunt and uncle there. And I went out for a quick little couple-mile run by myself, and it was just perfect, a perfect moment. Maybe you've had one of those. Maybe it was a walk, and you just felt great and energized. It's a perfect moment. I was out there. It was perfect running weather, about 55, 60 degrees, overcast, misty, and I was just running through the woods on these trails. I'd never run this trail before. Over bridges that were going over, like, rapids. I just couldn't believe it. It was a perfect time. And I felt like it was one of those moments where I was not saying, what am I doing? i got to stop. It was like, I felt like I could keep going. I felt like I could have just kept on, on going. And I snapped this picture as I was out there on that run. This morning, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us a snapshot. He gives us a little picture too. And he uses a running analogy. He uses a race mentality, a running analogy to describe our Christian life. To describe our, our, our Christian growth, he uses the idea of a race, of going out on a great run. Apostle Paul seems like a man who felt like he could, you read him, and you feel like he seems like he's always one of those guys, like, he can just keep running. You, you feel like, Apostle Paul, did he ever have a moment where he's like, what am I doing? This hurts so much, I just want to stop. And you read his letters. Apostle Paul wanted to keep on running, as we'll see this morning. Remember a couple weeks back, two weeks ago, we... Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul had just described for us, just told us and described for us that he had a passion, an all-consuming passion.
passion to know Christ. Do you remember the words from Philippians 3.10? That I may know Him. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And he said, I had this all-consuming desire to know Him. And he took his life accomplishments. You remember a couple weeks back. All his accomplishments. And he stated them. All his Jewish credentials. Do you remember that? And he said, they are as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus. Well, even as Paul now, remember, he sits in a jail cell as he writes this letter. He's in prison, in jail, at the end of his life possibly. He's writing this letter. He's not slowing down. You think he might be. This hurts too much. I'm just throwing the towel in. giving up. He's not, as we see here. He's actually ramping up, sitting in a jail cell. Ramping up in his passion for Jesus and still wanting to grow more, even though he might be at the end of his life. To grow more. To race better. To know Jesus more deeply. That's what we're going to see today. And he tells us today, look at verse 15 real, real quick in your text. He says, if you're mature, he says, think this way. He says, see what I've written down here. And if you're mature, think this way. So what's he saying? What's he saying? Everybody should look after me and look at me, Paul says. Not because he's proud. He says, if you want to be mature, if you want to grow, look at me. Think this way. We're going to model this is what we will see today in Apostle Paul. We're going to model after his life. But the most accomplished Apostle Paul was the humblest of men. And this morning he shows us that true spiritual growth comes through a humble, grace-driven, passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus. That's what we're going to see. To know him more deeply. We're going to look together. We're calling it four goals. Four goals this morning that promote spiritual growth all the way to the finish line of life. So grab your outline. Hope you've got it open there. It's a tool to help those of you that like to fill in things or jot down notes as we go through the scripture. Hopefully you've got the word of God open. As we look today, we're calling them four goals to run after as a disciple of Jesus. If you want to grow, if you want to be mature, Paul is mature. The first goal we're going to see is this. The first goal to run after is this. We're called to run after a humble a humble self-assessment. When we look at ourselves, that's the first one. If you want to grow in maturity, as Paul was mature, run after a humble self-assessment. Take a look at me this morning at chapter 3 we're in again, back at verse 12, as we look back at a little of our text. He said this, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. We stop there at 13a. Paul is doing here what a mature person, a mature disciple in Jesus Christ does. A mature person in Jesus Christ acknowledges they still aren't perfectly mature. That's what he's doing here. In his maturity, he's able to say, I haven't arrived. You know, it, it's possible in, in the Philippians church at this time, there was some teaching uh, that you could be perfected in this lifetime. That you could come to that place where you're like, I, I've arrived. I, I, I've been perfected. Who wants to volunteer for that? Anybody here this morning? Last that question. Who's, who's, who's made it? Right? 
mean, that's a daunting question, but it's possible at that time in the church there were some teaching that perfection in this side of heaven was possible. And remember, Paul had just laid out for us, remember all those credentials we talked about a couple weeks back, the credentials that he had? Uh, he was a Jew of Jews, remember? He was blameless man to the law. This is before he became a Christian. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He had a zeal, he said, and even a zeal that was so strong that he persecuted the church. You remember that? He's got some credentials. And here he says, I haven't arrived. I, I, I'm not perfect yet. I still need to press on. He says, brothers, I, I do not consider I've made it my own. I am not perfect, he says, even though he had that that thick stack of credentials. I haven't arrived yet. So what happened to Paul? What happened to him? How did he go from a self-assured, self-confident, self-righteous Pharisee to a regular disciple so that he could say, brothers, brothers, level playing field. What happened? He was humbled by the gospel, by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what happened to him. That's what happened to the, the Apostle Paul. Paul pre-conversion, remember he was blinded on the road to Damascus? Remember that story? Paul pre-conversion, I have arrived. Look at who I am. A Jew of Jews from the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee, zealous. I live the law. I'm blameless. Paul pre-conversion was self-assured. Paul post-conversion, I'm nowhere near I'm not a super apostle. I haven't arrived. I've got a long way to go. And this is actually Paul's words here. As he says, a mature Christian has a humble self-assessment. It's actually hopeful for us. It's really hopeful. Because if Paul, the apostle Paul, hadn't arrived yet, and he calls us in the same company, he did the, the, the readers of his letters, he called them brothers, we're in the same company as the apostle Paul. And so if you feel this morning like you, I've got a long way to go still. You're in good company because that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You've got a long way to go. That's hopeful for us. Oh, that fills you with hope this morning. That if the Apostle Paul had to say it, then it's okay for you and I to say, you know what? I haven't arrived. I don't have it all figured out. I still need to press on in my growth. One of the things I love about uh, activities such as our church picnic that we had last week, I love these kind of activities. Because when we're there, we're, we're all gathered. Uh, I love about these activities, the word all. All church picnic, we called it. All church picnic. Events like that. All church events. Because all of us are there together in one place as we were last Sunday. All of us there sitting together. All of us sitting on the ground, level playing field, all just gathering together there. It's a moment where we see all the church together. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. That's what Paul wants the Philippians to see. That's what he wants us to see. We are all in this together. The Apostle Paul was in some super class. He's saying, I'm right here with you. We're all in this together. We're running on the same path together. I too still have a race before me, he said. We're running on this race of growth Together, none of us has arrived. Not the apostles, not your pastor, not any of us. None of us has fully, completely, finally arrived. It's a journey, so to speak, that Paul is highlighting here. 
It's a journey. It's a race. That we're all in together, following Jesus together. And Paul is their leader now. Paul is the apostle par excellence said, I'm right there too with you. I'm right there too. I'm no better than you. That's a leader. That's a leader with humility. That's what the church needs. That's what Paul wants. Why do we need more of this, Bethany Church? Why do we need to have a humble, to run after a humble self-assessment? Here's why. Because when you and I are humbled by the gospel of grace, number one, unity happens. Unity happens with humility. We see each other as we really are. Sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace alone. We also view others differently then, too. It's less of an us and them. And more of a, we're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. Why do we need more of this? Here's another reason. When the gospel of grace humbles us, we become less critical, more gracious, more open to being burdened by someone less mature than us who's coming along in the faith. Because we realize, I too haven't arrived yet. Just like Paul said, I have a long way to go too. Or those outside the church were willing to, to be uh, inconvenient on a moment when we have a gospel opportunity, but it's going to make us 30 minutes late to an appointment. Because it changes us. It changes us from the inside out. That's why we need more of it. But God's grace is working. It can work in anybody else too because we're all in this together. It's exciting. It's hopeful. So here's what we do as a church then. Let's run together, all in this together, after that humble self-assessment that Paul had. That Paul had. I haven't arrived. Well, that's the first goal. We're going to have four goals. The first goal was run after a humble self-assessment, as Paul did. Here's the second one. Run after Jesus and marvel at God's grace, is what we see coming out of this passage. Run after Jesus and marvel at God's grace. You know, the term, uh, the term broken, maybe you've heard it a lot in the church in the last years, last few years. It's become a popular term in the church. Uh, I'm broken. You're broken. We are all broken. And on one level, and maybe you've heard that, that, ter- that term's become pretty popular. On one level, I, I understand that. And I, I agree with that terminology. If by it, when we say I'm broken, if by that we mean that I'm still sinful. In fact, I'm shot through with sin. Every part of me. Every part of me is affected by my sinful nature. I don't always respond the way I should. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be in me. I know that. I don't always respond the way. I don't always desire the things I should. I agree with it if by broken we mean that. Right? We have remaining sin in us even once we come to Christ and it's a lifelong race to battle it. I agree with that. But I think at times the church has over-highlighted that word so much. And if we do, I'm just broken. I'm just broken. It can become an excuse for us to kind of to sort of sit back. I'm just broken, right? And kind of wallow in our brokenness, which we are. And almost glory in our brokenness. And almost turn that into a virtue in and of itself to say I'm broken. But Paul is saying in one level, I haven't arrived yet. 
Paul, look at what he says. He doesn't use it as an excuse to sit back. He says, yes, I'm broken. Yes, I haven't attained it. I am not perfect. But verse 12, he says, but I press on. I press on. I move forward. I make every effort to grab it. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own. Right? I'm broken. But one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind and and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says in some way, he says, I, I stop looking back and I look forward. I look forward. I don't grow content with the status of my brokenness or my, the status quo, but I continue to seek to grow, to seek change. I, I run after it, Paul says. I strain after it, he says, for the prize ahead. It's this passionate straining. And what is that prize? What are we racing for? What are you running for? Well, based on how many times Paul has mentioned Jesus in these previous verses, and here he says the upward call of, of Christ, the goal is Jesus Christ. He is the goal. He is the finish line. He is the end of all. And that's what Paul is saying here. I strain, I prize to have more of him, to know him more deeply, to trust him more completely, to become like him more and more over the course of an entire race, entire life. That's what he's saying. That's the goal. That's, that's Paul's passion. That's what gets him going. May it be ours too. To know Jesus Christ in a way you never have before. Whether you're 30, 20, 60, 70, 80, 90, you can still know him deeper. That's how great he is. You can still come to know him more fully and still be transformed till the day you die or the day he comes back. We're on that race. So what did that race look like for Paul? What does it look like then to run after Jesus? If that's one of the goals, What's it look like? And to, or to marvel at God's grace. What does that look like? Let's take a little, a little closer look. Paul says, forget what's behind and look forward to what lies ahead. Our son Jack is about two years old. And have you ever had toddlers or you've got grandkids and you've seen those two-year-olds or two-and-a-half-year-olds run? Whenever they're being chased by a sibling or a friend or a buddy, they look over their shoulder, don't they? They kind of are running, they're laughing, maybe they're screaming, but they're, they're, you, know, they're, you see them running and they look over their shoulder. And inevitably, what happens when they look over their shoulder? They kind of veer, don't they? Or they trip. Or I've seen Jack run into walls, fireplaces, doorknobs in the middle of the head. I mean, you name it. When a child, a toddler, looks over their shoulder, they veer, don't they? Because they keep looking back and they're not seeing where they're going. Or how about in a lane change on the freeway? You've done one of those, you put your arm, you're like, uh, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, and you're kind of like going off that way. When you look back, you veer. Paul knows a good runner can't keep looking back. He says, I forget what's behind. I, I look forward. Here's what he's kind of getting at. Too many of us fixate on 
Too many of us live our days in the present and the past. Too many of us fixate on past failures. Past hurts even. Too many of us fixate on past successes even. You know, if you hear a a message today, a pop psychology message today, there's an obsession with the past. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. But there's too many today that think and ask us to relive the past over and over again or to look to the past and find somebody else to lay the blame on. But don't leave the past. Now please hear me. When Paul says, forget what lies behind, he's not saying that our past is irrelevant. He's not saying that. He's not saying that our past doesn't matter or that our past is not important. It does. Our past shapes us. Your environment that you were raised or grew up in or the history of your life, it does shape us. The past does matter. And wrongs that have happened to us in our past or wrongs that we've done should be made right if possible. We have to deal with sin that's in our past or sin that's been done to us in our own lives or in the church, right? We have to. We have to deal with sin from the past so, or things from the past. So Paul's not totally dismissing your past or my past. But once that past has been dealt with, maybe forgiveness granted or repentance or restoration or a, a, a reconciliation, something along those lines, once it has been dealt with, Paul says, now move forward. Now go forward in life on that race. Go forward. And forget and look to the finish line. Look to Jesus, is what he's saying. Some of us have had awful past. Some of you have had awful past. Childhoods, maybe. Or marriages. Or broken, or, or broke or other relationships, or mistakes we've made. Consequences are real, aren't they? Whether you were the perpetrator or it was done to you. Consequences are real. Our choices have consequences. It does matter. But the past does not have to choke out your present. It doesn't. The past doesn't have to plot the course for the rest of your life. It doesn't have to hobble you in the race forever. It doesn't. And that's what Paul is saying. I mean, look, think about for a minute the heroes of the Bible. Now, I use that, the quotation, scare quotes, heroes of the Bible. Abraham gets a mistress pregnant and abandons her. That's a past, isn't it? That's a past, right? Moses was a murderer. That's a past, isn't it? Right? David, an adulterer, and a murderer. That's a past, isn't it? Paul, the writer of our letter now, persecutes the church and wants to see Christians die. That is a past. And yet they all got to a place where they could look forward. Where they could look forward again. Why is that? Because the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ is more powerful than your past. It's more powerful than your past. What's happened? Where you've come from? The freedom you have in Christ, the freedom I have in Christ, is calling you and I to lay it down, to let it go sometimes. 
if God has forgiven you of your past failures, why do we still hold on to him? You ever think about that? If the God of the universe who made you is willing to forgive you for your wrongs, why can't we forgive ourselves? That's, it's a reality, isn't it? I struggle with that. Things I just can't let go. It's the very thing the accuser, Satan, loves to chain us to. He loves to chain you to your past. You're running the race, and it's like it gets your leg. Like, oh, you know, you're running, it just yanks you back. You just see a dog on a leash, and they forget they're on the leash, right? You know, Satan loves to do that to us, to put us on a chain to our past. Christ has broken those chains at the cross. He has broken them. So we fixate, don't we, on those past failures. But we also fixate on past successes, too. We can do that, too. If I can only get back to that time. Oh, I love that time in my life. If I can only get her back, right? If I can only get him back. If I could just get back to those glory days. It was so great. We fixate there. It's another way we, that we look back. Another way we derail and get sidetracked. We do that. I do that as an individual. We do that, not just Bethany, but the church at large does that. Every church does that. Oh, if we could just get back to that time. The glory days, if we could just get back there. Right? I have a memory box. Who has one? I'm the only one in this church that has a memory box? Uh, thank you. Nice. But I got one. You maybe have something like that. Might be full of some trophies, awards, things you've done from your past. It's real easy to pull that down. Photos, you all have those. I know that, right? It's real easy to pull that box down. You get nostalgic real quick for the glory days. Past successes. And fixate there. The glory days. Maybe it's that glory minute of your life, right? Maybe we got a, I had a glory few minutes. Maybe you're like, glory days? I had a few minutes, right? Maybe it is that. Makes me think of the song. I love him, Bruce Springsteen. The, you guys know, probably, you know who he is, a rock guy. I, but his song, Glory Days, this week I was prepping, made me think of that. Look at his lyrics. Now I think I'm going down to the well tonight. I'm going to get to drink till I get my fill. That's not my advice. That's Springsteen's words. And I hope when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Yeah, just sitting back, trying to recapture a little of the glory of, well, Time slips away. It leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories and glory days. When you read it outside of the context of the song, you're like, oh, that's kind of sad. That's what he's saying? I like, you know, it's an upbeat song. The glory days, right, of your personal life, of church life. When we look back too much, it leads to complacency. Even Springsteen got it. What does he say? You just sit back, don't you? If you got some glory days you can't let go of, you just sit back, he says. He got it even. He gets it. Memories are good. Celebrating what God has done in your life, in history, in your past, whether it's with photos or other things, that's good. It's good to celebrate that, right? But we have to press on. We have to go forward. We can't get stuck there. Because he saved us from something to something. A forward race Paul's talking about here. We have to look forward again. We can't just stay there. What happens? Like the toddler, we run to the doorknob right in the forehead, don't we? We do. So how, what helps Paul, what helps him run after Jesus? 
and let go of the past. Because he had a past, didn't he, Paul? How did he let go of that? The second half of this second goal, marvel at God's grace. That's how we do it. We marvel at God's grace. Paul says there, one thing I do. Paul's like a one-thing guy. One thing I do, I forget and I look forward. I forget and I look to Christ. I forget and I go forward. So here's the question. I read this question this week as I was in preparation for commentary. But here's the question. What's one change you could make right now, today? One change you could make right now to start running again a little bit if you're stuck in the past. One change that would make you uh, long to be more like Jesus, to look more to him, to stop looking back, to look forward. It could be something as simple as getting back on a daily Bible reading. It could be something that simple. But what is, I want everybody to think about this now, what is one change you could make? Not your spouse. Not your, that's, the easy, that's the easy one to go to. I know that. But what is one change you could make right now? Write it down. Nobody's going to look. Take 15 seconds. Think about it. Write it down. What's one change? You've got a pen. you got some in the pocket there. You could make. I want to give us a few, even if you had trouble writing one down. The first one's this. Begin to marvel again at God's grace. It moves you forward. It can't help but do that. Paul gave us two little phrases in this passage. Here they are. You see them popping up. He said these two phrases. Christ Jesus has made me his own. The other one he said was, I've got this call, this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul press on? Why is he able to look forward? Why is he able to to make Christ his own? Because Paul knows that by the grace of God, Christ has already made him his own. He's already grabbed him. He's already reached out and grabbed Paul. He's already been made Christ. The power of Christ, we, we mentioned it, on the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way to terrorize Christians. Paul had no desire in his heart for Jesus. Paul was an enemy of the cross of Christ, and yet Christ in that moment says, I'm grabbing you right now. And he did. Paul knew that. He says, that's why I can let go of my past, because I know I am saved by grace alone. A man on his way to persecute the church, and Jesus grabs him. Nothing Paul did, no spark of faith there. It was entirely an act of God's mercy and grace in the life of Paul, and it allowed him to let go of his past, because he saw grace. And that's what's happened to you if you trusted Christ. It may not have felt like the road to Damascus. That's not the norm. Let me say that. <laughs> not the, the way, the norm, of, uh, by blinding light, the way God tends to work. But on your heart, he works that way. Same he worked on Paul's heart. You've been saved by God, by his grace, by his work. That is what grace does. It makes us grateful. It makes us more bold, as I prayed today in our prayer. It makes us more humble at the same time. More bold, more humble at the same time. That's what grace does. It allows us to let go of the past because the past has been paid for. That's what it does. It's the good news of the gospel. One thing you can do, you maybe didn't write this one down, but you did if you filled in your notes, I guess. One thing you can do is marvel at God's grace again. It will release you from your past because he grabs you. 
He grabs you, like Paul said, if you're trusting Christ today. But there's a third goal to run after. Here, the first one was humble self-assessment. Run after Jesus, marvel at God's grace. The third one is this. Run the same path as cross-centered heroes. And the third one, to help you run that race, to help you look forward. Run the same path as cross-centered heroes. I want our youth, if there's some youth, I see a few of you in the room today. This is for everybody, but if you're a youth in the room today, high school, junior high, maybe older elementary, I want you to really listen to this section. This is for all of us, but it is for you, too. All of our youth in this room. Look at verses 15 and 19. It says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, anything, any you think, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The example you have in us, he says, for many of whom I have often told you, now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Paul in the book of Philippians has been talking a lot about imitation. He said, imitate Timothy. Remember that? He said, imitate, who was that other guy? Strange name, anybody remember? Epaphroditus, remember that? He said, imitate Timothy. I, imitate Epaphroditus. Remember we had that amazing passage, imitate Jesus, right? He went to the cross for us. But now he says, imitate me. He says, imitate me, the Apostle Paul, and keep your eyes on others like me as well. Who are you going to imitate? He says to the, the Philippians, there are those who walk, he called them enemies of the cross of Christ. People who might say they're Christians and yet think nothing of Christ and his cross. He said, watch out. He said, follow those who are like me. Christ-centered, cross-focused heroes. Because you will, each and every one of us, whether we know it or not, will imitate our life after somebody. You can't help it. Whether you're 15, 10, or 60, or 80, we will imitate our our life after the pattern of somebody or something. And there's a lot of people out there that want you to imitate their life after them, isn't there? A lot of messages out there. A lot of marketing out there. Just live this way. And you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Well, Paul says, follow Christ-centered, cross-centered heroes. And here's why. Because a lot of times in the life of a disciple, in the life on the race, more is, is caught sometimes been taught. Have you heard that phrase before? You can catch sometimes things in a way you can't quite teach things. Now, we are all about teaching here at Bethany Church. We are going to open the Word of God week after week and teach it and open it together and grow in the truth. But we also grow as we catch things. As we live life together. As you live life amongst other people so that we can learn from each other. That's what Paul's saying here. Imitate me. Learn from me. Catch things as you watch me, Paul says. Who are you watching? Who are you patterning your life after? Or catching things you may not even realize you're learning just by living shoulder to shoulder with somebody. You catch things by watching others. And the company you keep, Proverbs knew this way before, the company you keep forms you, doesn't it? Take a look at Proverbs 13.20 says this, 
Whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. Whoever, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Why? Because you become like the fool. That's what Proverbs is saying. That's why Paul says, watch out for the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's why he says, follow me. Because those enemies of the cross of Christ, they had different motives. They had different desires. They were fixated on their own appetites, he says. Their belly, he calls it. And their glory days, their finding joy and their glory, were celebrating things he said they should be ashamed of. Their glory and their shame. You ever seen things that aren't so great? Things that should be not celebrated, celebrated in our culture? A lot. You live life alongside those who are celebrating and pursuing things you know. That's not good for me. That's going to cause me to look back. That's going to cause me to veer off into the trees, right? You know that. We know that. Fixated on earthly things, Paul said, instead of Jesus Christ. So what do we need then? You and I need, we need Bethany Church to model for each other, all in this together, remember now, to model for each other what it means to follow Christ, to model for our youth, our children who are sitting here, some of them today, to model for them what it looks like to follow Christ. If we can't give them a joy greater than what Paul called earthly things, we shouldn't be surprised when they don't want what we have. We've got to model it for them. Dads, parents, grandparents, friends of others, we have to model it. What it means to have a godly, healthy marriage. What it means to open your Bible and be able to get something out of it as you study it. What it means to have a godly mentor and why you'd even want one. Why would you want one? What it means to see Jesus as a billion times better than anything else, earthly thing that Paul calls and that the world could offer us. We shouldn't be surprised. We need to be those amongst each other that run with our eyes on Christ, our eyes up, our eyes forward, and bring others into that, whether it's in a life group, a one-on-one Bible study, here on a Sunday morning in our Sunday school class, to see the true joy found in Christ. Deliverance only comes from Him. He is the end goal of all things. It's really, Paul's giving us a really robust vision of discipleship. So don't run with your head down. Look up at the sky. And if you're younger or older, but especially if you're younger, find some people around you that are living the faith, whether it's your parents or somebody else, and watch them. Watch them. Watch how they live. Watch how they mess up, too. Watch how they restore. Watch them. Well, if that's our third run-after cross-centered heroes of the faith, here's our fourth goal. For running the race, run with a longing for your true home. It's our final one today. Run with a longing for your true home. Verse 20 and 21. But, whenever the scripture says but, it's important to look at what's there. But, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables them to subject all things to Him. We talked a couple weeks back that uh, Philippi was like a little Roman colony. If you lived in Philippi, you were considered a citizen of Rome. You had all the rights. You had all the privileges. A Roman citizen. In fact, Philippi even looked like a little Rome as a city. 
so that if you visited Philippi, you would have said, this kind of feels like Rome. These kind of seem like Romans. It would have been their glory, the Philippians. They would have prided themselves. They would have gloried themselves in that. We are a little Rome. But they get this letter from Paul, and he says, wait a minute. Your true citizenship is in heaven. Not Philippi, not Rome, not Canby, not the United States. Your true citizenship is in heaven. And so Paul encourages them and encourages us, live like citizens of that kingdom. Run the race looking for that true home. So when people see us, Bethany Church, loving our neighbor, sacrificing for one another, putting up with an inconvenience, they might say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> you don't quite feel like Rome. Yeah, you live here, but you're kind of different. Live that way. Like we're part of a different kingdom. But we also wait a different king as well, Paul says. And there may be a lot of powerful kings out there, a lot of powerful voices. In their day, it was Caesar. In our day, it's a million voices coming at you all different kinds of mediums, isn't it? Let me be your king. Follow me. Follow this. Follow that. But we have one true king, Paul says. And he's coming from heaven again. He's coming back, he says. Paul says, live like you're already part of that kingdom, because in reality, you already are if you trust the Christ. Your home is not here. We live here, but we've been transferred to a new kingdom. So look forward to it. Live for that kingdom. Live knowing he's returning. Glory not by looking at past hurts or past glory days, but glory by looking forward to Christ, to him. There's that, there's that saying in the church, or around, it, it's kind of a cliche that says he was, he was so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good. Have you heard that before? He was so heavenly minded he was no earthly good. And it's cute and it's memorable and I get what they're trying to say. It's just not biblical. Because what Paul is saying here is live as if you're part of another kingdom. Live and look towards that. You know what's ironic? Those that have had the greatest impact in the here and now were the ones who lived most like they already were part of another kingdom because they realized here and now mattered, but it wasn't everything. There was another kingdom coming. It's actually ironic. It's actually not true. Paul says live as, as the other citizens. The way of having the greatest impact on that race now is to live as one who knows his true home is true Savior's coming. The glory in Him. Springsteen's lyrics are coming back up as we close. On the left side, we think about which one are you? You glory in your brokenness? You glory in the earthly things? You glory in the past hurt or past successes, the glory days? There's Springsteen's lyrics again. Or as one of my favorite songs says that we're going to close with today, you glory in the Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings. He crowns my life with loving kindness. His triumph song I'll ever sing. I'll glory in my Redeemer who waits for me at gates of gold. And when he calls me, he'll be paradise. His face forever. What a different vision, huh? What a different vision of the glory days. What a different race. Here they were, run after a humble self-assessment in life, run after Jesus, marvel at his grace, 
run after cross-centered heroes, and finally run by looking up to Jesus, glory in Him, our true home. Let's pray, and let's sing that together. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to another race, another goal, another prize than what earth has to offer. Earth is your place. You made it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And yet it is broken. We realize that, that our glory comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Our purpose comes from running after Him. Because eternity is awaiting. And what happens here will be a tiny little blip. So let us live as kingdom, citizens of that other kingdom. Let us be all in this together and be a church that is humbled by the grace of God. And let us glory in our redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen.